0: I have a question for you. Do you you guys have locks on your doors at home? Do you have locks on your doors? Do you lock your car when you park it somewhere in a public spot? Do you protect information on your cell phone or on your computer with a password? We all take precautions with the things that are precious to us. And and we're going to see in our passage today that God has given us something that is so priceless, we have an enemy that wants to get his hands on it. We're talking about the freedom we have in Christ, our freedom in Christ. It's a gift from God, our freedom in Christ. But Satan has a scheme, and his scheme is not to break in and steal it. The devil's plan is to trick us into giving it away just giving our freedom away. So what is our freedom in Christ? What is that all about? And what scam is Satan running on us? God is going to tell us when we open his word today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We love the rain. Uh, We don't get to see it very often. It's so refreshing. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everyone here. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we understand Fully, that this is your voice speaking to us. So we ask you to give us hearts that tune into your voice. Give us eyes to see the truth, we pray, because we need to know the truth in this confusing world. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read that together in a minute. Um, Before that, though, I want to give us a little spiritual context for our passage The devil, our enemy, has a strategy. Satan has a strategy for all the people in the world. His strategy, his plan A, is to distract us. And Satan uses anything and everything in the world that he has at his disposal to keep our attention on anything but Jesus. The devil wants us to think we're too busy or we're too smart Or maybe we're too rich, or we're too self-righteous, or we're too spiritual, or we're just too good. Or maybe the opposite, we're just too messed up or too damaged to need Jesus. Satan sticks with plan A, the distractions, because it works like a charm on just about everybody in the earth. All the devil has to do is have us look anywhere except at Jesus and Satan wins and we lose but there are men and women there are boys and girls that see through the devil's scheme and they realize by the grace of God that Jesus is the most important thing in the whole world and these people pray Jesus save me and Jesus does save them save us and set us free Satan hates when that happens Hates when that happens, but the devil has plan B ready to go in just such an emergency. Whenever Satan loses people to Jesus, the devil immediately starts running a scam on them, on you and on me. What's his scam? Satan thinks he knows how to get us to give away the freedom we have in Christ. If, if Satan could steal back our salvation, he would. He would love to, but he can't. He can't touch our salvation. Why Why can't Satan get his stinky, nasty little sticky fingers on our salvation? He can't touch it because we're not holding on to it. Our salvation is in God's hand and Satan can't get near it. So the enemy goes after the next best thing. He wants our freedom in Christ. He wants to destroy the freedom that God has given us. Why does the devil want us to lose our freedom? Satan knows if we lose our freedom in Christ, we won't be beacons of light in the world. We'll be black holes. When we give away our freedom in Christ, we give away the abundant life that God wants for us. We toss away countless blessings. And Satan Satan certainly knows when we give away our freedom in Christ, now Satan can use us as examples for other people to look at and see our miserable and our judgmental and our uh, uptight lives and think, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then I don't want Jesus. Let's see what Jesus said in John chapter 8. It'll be on the screen for you. John 8, 31 to 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, he's talking to believers, if you continue in my word, meaning if you trust me and follow me, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth. And the truth will make you what? Free. Absolutely free. Jesus is truth. So everything he says is true. Knowing the truth, knowing what's real, knowing what's right sets us free. So after Jesus spoke to these believers, he then turned his attention to those who did not believe in him. He then spoke to the religious leaders of his day. The religious leaders of his day were the poster boys of legalism. What is legalism? Let's define legalism. Legalism stresses obedience to rules rather than faith and freedom in Christ. Legalism is all about rule following. It's not about freedom and it's not about faith. So how does Satan, how does Satan get us to buy into legalism? How does he do that? simple. He lies to us. He lies. Doesn't sound very nice, but he doesn't care. He lies. Let's see what Jesus said to the legalists of his day in John 8, verse, chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus turned to the religious leaders and said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because or for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus refers to our enemy as the father of lies. This means Satan is the first and the best liar of all time. If we apply an old joke to the devil, we could say, how do you know when Satan is lying? His lips are moving. Jesus always speaks words of truth, which bring freedom. Satan always speaks words of untruth that bring slavery. So knowing this fact, let's read our passage today. We're in Colossians chapter (coughs) 2, verses 16 to the end of the chapter, verse 23. Paul writes, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Verse 20 if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are no, of no value against fleshly indulgence. You know, if, if the devil, our enemy, sent one, someone into our lives that came up to us and said, Hi there, I'm a legalist. Would you like to trade away your freedom in Christ for my man-made rules? We'd all say, that sounds really unappealing. No, thank you. Not interested. Too bad Satan isn't that obvious. The devil knows how to lie convincingly. So what does he do? He sends people to us that can quote scripture. They can quote the Bible maybe better than we can. And they can sound authoritative. And they mix in just enough truth into their cocktail of lies that it sounds authentic, sounds believable, sounds possible. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan? Satan tried to use scripture to trick Jesus. It didn't work with Jesus. But Satan has not changed his game plan. Today, false teachers still misquote scripture. They still twist scripture to try to fool us into believing him. That's why you and I need to know the truth in God's word. So we cannot, cannot and will not be fooled. In verse 16 of our passage today, Paul tells us how to spot a legalist. See, he says, no one is to act as your judge. Legalists... Legalists just love to be the Judge Judy in our lives. Found out last night, I guess Judge Judy's still on TV. I wasn't sure. But legalists, they love to tell us what we're doing wrong and what we need to do to be more like them. Legalists focus on behavior. Legalists focus on behavior, not faith. Legalists love laws and rules, not freedom. So let's... Let's pause for a moment and think, let's think together about laws and rules for just a moment. Rules and laws are necessary in our society. For example, we have traffic laws. Some of us, some of us here might argue that speed limits are more suggestions <laughs> than laws. Comedian George Carlin once asked, have you ever noticed that anyone that drives slower than you is an idiot? Yeah. And anyone who drives faster than you is a maniac? (laughs) Even so, we have to admit that traffic laws are important for our safety. We have many other kinds of laws, too. Do you know how many laws there are in the United States of America? Do you know how many laws we have? Nobody knows. (laughs) Apparently, nobody can count that high. But just for fun, just for fun for a couple minutes, I thought, we should look at some actual laws that are in place in different states in our country. Let's start with Alabama. In Alabama, it's against the law to have an ice cream cone in your back pocket at any time. (laughs) So, write this down. If you're ever in Alabama and you see a police officer, take the ice cream cone from your back pocket and move it into your front pocket so you won't be in trouble. Indiana. Smoking. Smoking in the state legislature building in Indiana is banned, except when the legislature is in session. (laughs) Gotta wonder who made that law. St. Louis, Missouri has this law. It's illegal in St. Louis, Missouri to sit on the curb of any city street and drink beer out of a bucket. Very specific. Yes, it's okay to roll a keg to the curb, but leave your buckets at home. Vermont, at one time, at one time in Vermont, it was illegal to tie a giraffe to a telephone pole. Got to wonder how that law came into being. I mean, was phone service one day interrupted by too many tethered giraffes in the neighborhood? Somebody thought, we got to stop this. Last one. Last one, Chicago, Illinois. Chicago. Chicago has a law that forbids eating in a place. It's against the law in Chicago to eat in a place that is on fire. So, if you're dining in Chicago and the restaurant you're in bursts into flames, get out of there fast so you don't get a ticket. Do you know how many words appear in the IRS tax code? In 2013, that's five years ago, the, the uh, U.S. tax law had about four million words in it. Four million words. Just for comparison, the King James Bible has about 800,000 words. So our tax code is roughly five times longer than the Bible. I'm not going to make any further comment about that. I think it's important, though, for us to see how the human mind works. We make and we follow lots of rules every day. So we have rules for the games we play. We have rules for the roads we drive. We have rules for the schools and the workplaces. We have rules for our homes. And we have rules for our relationships. So legalism can appeal to us. We might think God works like society. If I act right, if I, if I follow enough religious laws, then God will love me and accept me. That, that makes sense. That's how it works in life. But Jesus came to show us we cannot ever satisfy God with our behavior we can only satisfy God with our faith in his son years ago at another church not this church years ago at another church I my wife and I were at a backyard barbecue and I heard a woman announce very confidently so we all heard it she said I know I'm going to heaven because I have not missed the day of church in so many years I forget the number of years but it was impressive." like three years, four years. She hadn't missed a day of church. I don't know if any of us can say we haven't missed a day of church in three or four or five years. It was an impressive number. I had heard her mention her church attendance on other occasions, always to sort of lift herself up above other common churchgoers. I do think the woman was a believer. I think she was. But over time, she became obsessed with church attendance as a way to elevate herself with church. Attending church, as we know, is the most amazing privilege. What a privilege it is to get together and worship God together and to grow in our faith together as we study God's word together and we get to sing to the Lord and we get to love him and we get to serve him by loving God and loving each other. But but attending church one time or a billion times cannot save us. Only faith in Jesus can save us. So we have to understand something about legalism. Legalism is like cancer. Legalism is like cancer. It starts off with just a little spot of pride. Just a little spot of pride in our lives. And if we don't get rid of it, it grows until it kills our freedom. So let's see what Paul writes to us in verses 16 and 17 of Colossians 2. He writes, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge. In what way would somebody judge us? In regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. The word, therefore, is important to us because it connects this thought that we just read with Paul's previous thought. Let's look at Paul's previous thought. It's in Colossians 2, verses 10 to 14. Pastor Mark beautifully took us through this last week. If you missed it, go listen to the recording. It's amazing. Let's look at Colossians 2, chapter uh, 10 to 14. Chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. In verse 10, Jesus, uh, Paul writes, And in him, Jesus, you have been made complete. You've been made complete. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, the instant we put our faith in Jesus, he makes us complete. Do you know what complete means? Complete means finished, mission accomplished, done. We're filled up. We're as full as we're going to get. There's nothing left for us to do, nothing more for us to do to earn our salvation. We are complete in Christ that very second we trust in him and forever. That's a fact. That's the truth. Look down at verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions by, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, God, made you alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all, all of our transgressions. The moment we trust in Christ, God also forgave all, all of our sins. Do you know what all means? It means all. God forgives all of our sins, past, present, future, when we trust in Christ. Look at verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us. And he, the Lord, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus' victory on the cross is total and it's complete. And when we trust in Jesus, his victory becomes our victory. On the cross, Jesus paid our debt in full. We have no more debt to pay. It's gone. Jesus erased it. Jesus set us free. So now in our passage today, because of all that, Paul says, since Jesus has made you complete, totally forgiven, and erased your debt to God, don't let anyone put you back under laws that don't apply to you. What laws? Paul lists a few examples in verse 16. He starts with laws about food or drink. He's referring to the Mosaic Law that we find in the Old Testament where God established dietary rules for his people that do not apply to us in Christ. We'll see why in a moment. The law of Moses also established religious festivals like Passover and the new moon, which was a, a giving a sacrifice on the first of every, every month, and the Sabbath, which was the celebration, of course, God resting from creation. These, these laws and other laws don't apply to us in Christ. Why? Paul tells us in verse 17... He says these things, these things in the law are a mere shadow. It's a mere shadow of what is to come because the substance, the substance, the reality belongs to Christ, belongs to Jesus. In other words, the law was a foreshadowing of the coming of Messiah. The law prepared us for Christ to come. The law showed us how desperately we need a Savior. Then the Savior came. It's like the law was Jesus' shadow in the doorway. And the moment he entered the room, we don't look at the shadow anymore. We look at Jesus because he's here. Jesus did for you and for me what you and I could never do. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law through his sinless life, through his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. He did all of this on our behalf. In Romans 10.4, It'll be on the screen for you. Romans 10.4 has this amazing statement. Paul writes, For Christ, for Jesus, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law is the end for the believer in the sense that our obedience to God is not the basis of our relationship. The law doesn't go away. God's perfection, God's perfect standards do not go away, but we are no longer justified to God by our behavior." Our relationship with God is now based on our faith in the work that Jesus did. Faith in the work Jesus does, not faith in the work that we do. In verse 17 of our passage, Paul calls Jesus the substance. This means Jesus is the whole point of the law. Jesus is the reason for the law. The law shows us how much we need Jesus because we cannot, even the best of us, cannot keep the perfect law of God perfectly. In Galatians 2... Verses 20 to 21. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God because if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died needlessly. When we put our faith in Jesus do you know what he did? He came to live inside of us. He came to fill our lives with himself so that we are declared completely righteous in God's eyes. Right now, tomorrow, and forever. This is the grace of God. you know what grace means? Grace means unearned favor. You can't earn God's grace. He gives it to us because we can't earn it. We earn it, if we could earn it through the law, Paul writes, then Jesus died for nothing. But Jesus did not die for nothing. Jesus died for everything. He set us completely free. You know what our freedom in Christ means? I can barely say this. It's so amazing to me. God knows all about our sin. God knows all about our weaknesses. God knows all about our weirdness. And he loves us. And he accepts us. And he wants us. Just the way we are. God loves us because of who He is, not because of who we are. God loves us because of who He is. Because of who He is, God loves us, not because of who we are. This is the truth that Jesus brought and Paul taught, and I hope we all caught. In Christ, we are set free. We are free. But but we still have rather active sin natures that can cause us to make some poor choices with our freedom. So when we trust in Jesus, you know what else he does? He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us too. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control. We need self-control. We need self-control so we can enjoy our freedom to the fullest Safely and wisely, in 1 Corinthians 6:12, Paul made this amazing statement. He said, "All things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable for me. Not all things are good for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything." Paul warns us, don't, don't be set free in Christ only to be mastered or controlled by the things you choose to do with your freedom. If our freedom leads us to sin, then sin leads us right back to slavery. Don't do it. We need self-control to honor the Lord with our choices. In Romans 14, 13, Paul wrote, Therefore, let let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. An obstacle or a stumbling block is anything that you and I do or say that hurts someone or causes them to sin in any way at all. Jesus set us free so that we could live for him and we could live for each other, not just for ourselves. So back to Colossians 2. Let's read on. Verses 18 to 20. Paul says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. To defraud here means to cheat or swindle. Paul says, don't let anyone cheat you out of your prize. The word prize comes from the Olympic Games, from the Olympic Games where prizes were given to those who won a contest. So Paul is saying, don't get cheated out of the victory that Jesus won for you. Jesus won your freedom for you. Don't get cheated. Don't get conned out of that. Don't let anyone turn you away from the truth. Don't do it. Don't turn away from the gospel. In order to indulge in things of the flesh, what things? He gives us some examples like self-abasement. Self-abasement means we take humility way too far. Now, true godly humility is wonderful. But here's the trouble with humility. If we have it, we don't know we have it because true humility focuses on God and other people, not on ourselves. So we don't even know we have it if we're humble. But if we have, if we delight in self-abasement, it means we have become super proud of being really humble. doesn't work can't work pride and humility just will not live together in the same house self abasement is practiced by a lot of people that believe the more we deny ourselves any kind of pleasure any kind of blessing then god will love us more but god loves us completely as we've seen through our faith in his son not through anything we do or anything we don't do next paul mentions the worship of angels This can mean one of two things. Either the false teachers in Paul's day were actually telling people to honor angels as mediators or intercessors instead of worshiping Jesus, or the false teachers wanted people to honor them as special messengers of God, just like angels are. This would tie into verse 18, where Paul notes how false teachers love to talk about the visions they've had. Instead of pointing to the truth of God, they like to talk about what they know. We see this today. False teachers want us to think that they have a supernatural connection to God. They have a pipeline to God that us mortals, us muggles if you follow Harry Potter, we don't have because these people have special communication with God and that's nonsense. Paul tells us where these visions come from. It, they come from the product of their own corrupt minds. That's where they come from, these visions. The phrase, fleshly mind, describes the spiritual arrogance of a prideful person. You know, there's few things more dangerous for us than spiritual pride and arrogance. It just kills us. And false teachers do not hold fast to the head. They do not hold fast to Christ. False teachers do not cling to the truth of the gospel. That's why they are full of deceit and error. You and I need to cling to God's word. We need to cling to it and trust it so we will not be fooled and we won't even be distracted by false teaching. False teachers create division in the church, but the truth of Christ unites the church into a healthy, thriving body that grows as God blesses us. Let's look at verses 20 and 22. Paul writes, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men? Paul asks us a really good question we should think about. He says, since Jesus set you free with the truth, why are you still listening to lies? Jesus set you free. He gave you the truth why are you looking for something else? Paul calls these lies the teachings of men, which means man-made religion. I don't know if you noticed, but Paul uses a very rapid succession of words here. He says, do they, they, verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and he put the emphasis, the exclamation in himself. It's like these words are meant to imitate the way legalists talk. Can't you almost see legalists wagging their finger? Don't do, no, 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 no. Paul kind of imitated that. I wonder if his voice changed when he wrote that. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He probably didn't sound like that. I don't want to think of Paul having a voice like that. Why would anyone, why would anyone who knows the truth of God, knows the truth of the Lord, why would anyone who knows the gospel ever think about or listen to or consider putting themselves under legalistic restrictions? Why would you and I ever put ourselves under legal religious rules? Paul tells us why at the end of this chapter in verse 23. He writes, These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul says the rules of legalism seem wise on the surface. Because they require strong devotion. Ooh, that sounds good. Strong devotion's appealing. Pious self-denial. Ooh, that, that sounds religious. Guess I should do that. And severe bodily discipline. Discipline's good. But the rules provide no help in conquering our evil desires. In fact, rules of legalism, man-made religion, actually feeds our desire to sin because it fills us with pride in our hearts. It makes us self-righteous, where we think we can justify ourselves to God based on our behavior. The whole point of the law is to show us how badly we need a Savior. The whole point of the law is to show us that you and I, even the very best one of you and I, can never be good enough to reach God on our own. But God is good enough to reach down to us, to save us by sending his Son, our Savior, to set us free. Chris, if you want to come back up, we'll, we'll close with a song. But let me just give us a summary. Jesus paid our debt in full. Our faith in Jesus makes us complete and righteous now and forever. All of our sins, past, present, future, they're forgiven. They're paid for. They're dealt with. They're erased. We are free. You and I are free to be ourselves. I don't have to be like you, and you don't have to be like me. When we mess up, our mistakes our mistakes do not end our relationship with God. Our mistakes do not jeopardize our salvation. We are free to live life to the fullest instead of living, living life in fear that we're not quite good enough for God. We don't have to worry that maybe God doesn't want us because we're not very good. We know for a fact that God loves us and wants us with him because God paid the highest price he could possibly pay, pay for us. He sent Jesus to die for us. So we are free to love Jesus and we are free to love each other and never judge each other. We're free to quickly forgive each other. We are free not to live just for ourselves, but to live for Christ and for each other. So Jesus set us free. So you and I can bask in the grace of God and the freedom of Christ every second of every day for the rest of our lives and for for all eternity. So let's be careful out there. Let's not let anyone fool us. Let's not let anyone scam us into giving up our freedom in Christ.